good day brethren at the Virgin Baptist Church and good uh, day also to Pastor Sam and Pastor Abel. Thank you for allowing me to be able to speak or to share the Word of God, especially this uh, season where we celebrate the recent Christ and uh, I'm just happy to be a part of this program and that today I'll be speaking on the first saying of Christ when he was hung on the cross. We all know the story, we all know what he went through and uh, this, I'll, I'll be starting this uh, series of message but I'll be the first one and there are going to be others that are going to be sharing the word of God from the other sayings and uh, this is the first saying. The Bible says in uh, Luke chapter 23 verse 34, then Jesus said while he was hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and part of this raiment and cast lots. Let's all pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you once again uh, for today. We thank you for the opportunity to open thy word, study it and share it. God, we're nothing, thou art everything and we pray that uh, today it will be a blessing to each and every one of us and it will be a moment where we could put you high again in our lives and uh, I pray God that used me because I'm nothing but by your grace God uh, we are here able to share your word and uh, study together with the brethren on the um, halfway around the globe God and uh, be with us as we study the word in Christ name we pray amen the Bible says here again when 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 Christ was hanging on the cross he, he said his first saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I always uh, try to uh, speak about uh, not knowing what they do. Sometimes even uh, it's funny because I haven't been able to share the word of God or preach uh, in, in English for a long time. I, I've, I've been sharing my notes or my outline in English but when I preach when I when I'm in when I'm here it's always Kapampangan or Tagalog or mixed you know uh, right but uh, right now I'll be trying to uh, speak in English all this time you know so forgive me if I don't know what I'm saying <laughs> uh, let's go back to the word of God father forgive them for they know not what they do. While Christ was hanging on the cross, while, while he was there gasping for, for breath, having a hard time uh, uh, taking, taking air in, uh, and uh, we could see he's in a lot of pain. He's, he, he's been through a lot from, from the beatings that he had, from the whip that uh, tore his body, from the shame he... he, he experience while on his way to the cross, while on his way to Calvary, being there is one of the, for me, seeing it every time I, 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 I hear songs about it, every time I watch 
the movie Passion of the Christ, it always brings tears to me because it's a gruesome scene. But while he was on the cross, he said this first saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We are asked to give a short message for about seven to to ten minutes, and uh, I'm looking at the clock right now. So we, I, I just want to share things Christ showed us in His first saying. And the uh, first thing I want to, to to share tonight or today, um, uh, it's night here because it's uh, more silent in, at, at night because we live in front of the road and every time uh, vehicles pass through so I'm, I'm confused right now at the time because I might be speaking in afternoon in your place but uh, whether it's morning or it's evening I want to share these things that Christ showed us in his first saying first thing I want to share is that in in the hardest time like Christ it was the hardest time for him he didn't do anything he did not deserve to be there. It should be us. It should be us hanging on the cross, um, being out of blood from our body, flowing out. That should be us. We should be in that suffering, in that pain, in that uh, price for the sin. But Christ loved us, so he took our place and he was there hanging on the cross. So in the hardest time, he called to his father, right? He said, Father. It's also the same for us. In our hardest times, as a Christian, there are sufferings, there are hardships, there are a lot of problems that we'll face, there are a lot of testings that we'll be running through. And one good thing, as we are Christians, as we are called Christians, we are followers of Christ. In the hardest time, we have a father to call. He called to his father in his hardest time while he was hanging there. But look at this. He said, Father. I lost my father a few years back, 2017. When I was growing up, we're not really close to each other, but when, when I surrendered my life, uh, my father became my hero. He was my pastor, he was my leader, he was my father. And when I have hard things to ask about the word of God, about the experience in, in serving God, I always have to go, uh, I always have someone to go to. He was there, but when he was gone, he's not here anymore, but I'm glad that even though my father is in heaven right now, I have a heavenly father who I can call to in the hardest time of our lives. Like being a Christian is not a bed of roses or being a Christian doesn't promise a bed of roses. The Bible said we will face sufferings, we will face this, we will face that. Because when we got saved, when we when we started following Christ, we declared war against the devil. But a good thing is that when we go through those times, we have a father to call. Isn't that great, brethren? 
isn't that a wonderful thing that we as followers of Christ can call and we can say father so first thing Christ showed us in his first saying that he had a father to call in his hardest time in the hardest times we have a father to call so he's affirming that he is in the father's will and he assured us that he his his father will hear him our father our heavenly father will hear us so that's the first thing in the hardest time we have a father to call second thing i want to share this uh, moment is that with the hardest people we can still show compassion christ was suffering the people put him there but he said father forgive them for they know not what they do compassion can make difference like the bible said when when the disciples when the apostles were preaching they turned the world upside down and they started doing it with compassion and when christ was looking at the harvest he said the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Before he said that, he was moved with compassion first. So, compassion can make a difference. Compassion can reach a distance. With the hardest people, we can still show compassion. We face troubles, we face, we, we face people that intimidate us when we're sharing the word of God. They, they tempt us and, and sometimes they will distract us but we could still show compassion through the harsh harsh suffering third thing is that we can come through why because christ overcometh everything he never complained when he was there and he was willing to give his life for us there's no reason for us there's not enough suffering that we have already uh, faced in our lives that Christ did not face greater, no? So, in the hardest time, we have a father to call. With the hardest people, we can still show compassion. Through the harshest of suffering, we still can come through. The Bible said, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. The first saying says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do we have a father to call we have compassion to show and we can go through sufferings because we could never overtake or we could never outgive god in anything that we do and uh, i hope and i pray that this has been a blessing to each and every one of us God bless each and everyone. Thank you again, Pastor Abel. Thank you again, Pastor Sam, for this opportunity. I hope uh, the first saying was a blessing to each and everyone. You all take care and God bless you. Oh, hello, church. Oh, what a blessing that song was, right? I remember I even heard that song long before I joined this church, and still to this day, it still hits me in the emotions. Um, but um, what a blessing it is to be here, to be able to preach the Word of God. Um, thank you, Pastor Abel, for trusting me with this. Um, as you know, I am a new believer. It's been only a year 
since I was saved. And to be up here to be able to speak about the Word of God is an incredible, incredible opportunity for me. So I thank you all, and I hope that I can be a blessing to you guys um, using the Word of God, obviously. Um, and so to start off, I'm talking about the second saying from Luke 23, 43. And if we quickly turn to there, um, this section of the Bible is talking about the thieves that were crucified with um, Jesus. And here he says, and Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Um, let us pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be able to preach to the church that you allowed me to, be beco to become of and allowed me to have the salvation in your name, Lord. Um, I pray that you give me the courage. Um, you can hear the nervousness in my voice, but I pray that I can be a blessing to everybody here. And I thank you for this everything again. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so this section <laughs> I named um, Ask for Salvation and You Shall Receive. Um, just a quick, um, just a quick um, cap of what this is about. Um, the two thieves that were crucified with Jesus, um, there was one, one thief who was mocking the Lord, but then there was an, another that, was, that actually was saved um, on that cross with him. And I think that's truly a blessing because it shows us where our faith can really stem from, um, where our salvation can really come from. And I will point out to you three points, in, oh, sorry, uh, three points in the next couple of slides of things I pulled from this um, Bible verse. Um, so if we go to the first side, first thing about salvation is, well, once everything loads, is that salvation is simple. And it's not, it's not crazy complicated as some people are teaching. Um, we don't need rituals to be saved. We don't need to do good deeds. Jesus isn't out there looking at your good deed credit score and checking if you are worthy of salvation. Sorry, I work in finance, so <laughs> there's the analogy. Um, but you know, it's, it's crazy because we live our, well, in my old faith, I lived my life thinking, okay, how can I balance out any of my sins with my good deeds? Will I be saved then? But honestly, in the Bible, and clearly from this verse, um, all the thief did was confess his sins to the Lord and truly look to him for salvation. And we can see in verses 40 to 42, um, after one of the, the other thief had mocked Jesus, this thief that was saved says, but the other answering um, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed, just, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the best thing about that is it's proven here that he was saved without having to do good deeds or doing any rituals. He was on the cross dying with the Lord Jesus Christ. And after admitting that he was there because of his own sins, because of his own mistakes, he looked upon Jesus for that salvation, for that forgiveness, and honestly, that's probably one of the best things we can learn from this verse because, on, because between you and me, like we can try as hard with our own actions to be saved, but at the end of the day, all we need to do is confess our heart to the Lord and look to him to truly save us. And that actually brings me to my second point, 
where salvation is instant, instant and assured. And like my analogy before, with this analogy, it's not when we confess our sins to the Lord, we don't have to wait three to five business days to hear back. We are instantly saved as long as our heart is truly in aligned with looking to him for that forgiveness and for that salvation. And honestly, it's proven more than one time in the Bible. If we take a look at, uh, sorry for mispronouncing his name, Zacchaeus, in Luke 19, 1 to 10, um, he was a rich tax collector. But if I quickly read verses 8, 9, and 10, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Just like the thief who was saved, this man also looked to the Lord for salvation because he knew that whatever he did, his good deeds weren't enough. He did good deeds because he was saved as opposed to doing good deeds to be saved. Um, and the important thing I want to highlight here when the thief said, when thou comest into thy kingdom, and when Jesus said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise, that's an instant of timing of when he would be saved. It was in that moment he was saved. And we have assurance. He got assurance through Jesus' word live, but as we know, we have this live Bible for assurance. So quite a blessing that is. And moving on to my third point. Well, I'm, I'm going so very fast. <laughs> But <laughs> this, this third point is actually probably the one that hit me the most, that salvation is available to all despite your past. As someone who was part of an old belief, of a different belief, and had all these sins up to a certain point in, in my life where I couldn't even recognize myself, I didn't think I was you know, worthy of being saved or that there was no hope for me. But this thief in his last moments, despite, you know, everything he had done. And for you know, crucifixion was probably maybe equivalent to the death penalty, where it was probably the most harsh and cruel death that you can get um, at the time. Um, so being that you were on that cross, it was most likely deemed that you had done something at least very bad. Um, but, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But the, the fact is that even though we have all these sins, we do all these things before we're saved, that there's still hope for us. So whether or not that you're saved today or you're saved tomorrow, that there's still hope to be saved. Because if you look at it, we're a sinner then, we're still a sinner now. But what we need to make sure is that our heart's in the right place for the Lord. And even proven in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's because the Lord Jesus Christ paid everything for us already when he sacrificed himself. There's no interest rates, no fees, no hidden things in the contract. The Lord just gave up his life for us, and he gave us that opportunity to be saved and to really um, do his work from then on. And as long as we have that mindset to be better than we were yesterday in his name, then he will happily open his heart to us. Um, so, in conclusion, um, for asking for salvation and you shall receive, remember, it's simple. Confess yourself to the Lord, believe in him, surrender to him. 
Salvation is instant and promised. You don't need to wait. You just need to open your heart and truly believe you are saved through him. And salvation is available to all despite your past. If anyone is listening that has yet to be saved, know that there's no wrong time. It's never too late to be saved. Um, I'm 28 years old, and I'm sure there are other people that have been saved later in life. But you know what? Like at the end of the day, if your heart's there and you truly believe that Jesus sacrificed himself for us, then that's enough for him to open his um, heart to you too. So, yeah, so I hope that that was a blessing. <laughs> and um, I really hope that you, if anyone's listening, that no matter what happens, like if, if you feel like you don't deserve it, you don't deserve that love, you don't deserve that salvation, know that as long as your heart's there, God thinks, God believes that you're ready for it. You just have to accept him. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Good evening, church. Good evening. Uh, tonight we'll be going through John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. There it says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. So I have three points for us today. The first one being Mary, the mother of Jesus, a place of reward. So we see in Jesus' mother, Mary, was last mentioned as being in Jesus' presence in John 2, verses 1 to 11, at the wedding feast in Cana, mm -hmm. where Jesus turned the water into wine. At that occasion, Mary wanted Jesus to perform a miracle to provide for this couple who had run out of wine at the feast. Jesus had answered her with the odd, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour has not yet come. In that statement, he was reminding her that he had come of age and he was no longer under his mother's authority. It was time for him to do the will of his father. Amen. Now he addresses his mother again as woman, which is a term of endearment. And I think Jesus here is reminding her that this was the hour for which he came into the world. He did not come into the world to be a wonder worker or a, even a good teacher. He had not come to fulfill the expectations of men. He came to die on the cross for the sin of the world so that, as in John 3.16, as, as it says, whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mary was Jesus' earthly mother, and he did not ignore her while he was on the cross. The Lord rewarded her by sharing his beloved disciple with her. Woman, here is your son, and this disciple will not be martyred or taken away from you. Uh, John's exile and suffering would have been after her death. Now, why did Jesus reward his mother? Uh, rewards come at a high cost. And what was the cost of, for Mary? What suffering did she endure? Uh, we look at Luke 2.35, which reveals a prophecy concerning Mary. And it says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. Now, how did Mary suffer? She suffered physically when she brought the Savior into the world. 
She suffered the shame and reproach and gossip when found to be with child before the marriage was consummated with Joseph. She suffered when she fled to Egypt to save her child from Herod, but countless innocent children died because of her child. How do you think she would have felt about that? She would have suffered emotionally. And then there was the growing separation between her and Jesus when he declared to her one day, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Truly, the sword was piercing Mary's side. She felt the climax of Simon's prophecy at the cross where her son died, and she suffered because the way he died, he died on a cross, which was the way that prisoners died. And where he died was open, publicly, and shamefully. And Mary stood there feeling the pain of the sword going through her soul. Countless times over the years, she had held the hands that were now held in place with nails. She bathed and caressed the skin that now hangs in ribbons. She would remove every splinter he got in the carpenter's shop. And now large thorns have been driven into his skull. She would do her best to clean her boy's teeth, which now have been knocked out by the, by the cruel blow blows of sadistic men. She was for years privileged to gaze into the eyes of the Son of God for hours on end, and now she couldn't even identify him as her son if she had to. Her hopes, wishes, and dreams was Jesus, and he was dying on the cross. Jesus felt her sorrow, he knew her loneliness, and he rewarded her by giving to her the disciple who loved the Lord so dearly. Jesus didn't have any possessions to give to anyone, for, and the soldiers had gambled for his clothing already, so what could he give to Mary? He gave John to Mary. It may not seem like it at the time, but for Mary to stand near the cross was to stand at a place of reward. Ultimately, God's rewards those who have suffer, who suffer or have suffered for his sake. Jesus knows our trials and our needs, and the scripture teach us that if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Mary was ultimately rewarded, but it came by the way of the cross. And I'd like just to point out that the love of Jesus is broad enough for everyone in this world, yet personal enough to see you, to see your personal needs like he saw Mary. Uh, for my second point, John, the disciple, a place of responsibility. So for John to be at the cross was to stand at a place of responsibility. He, John stood at the cross restored. He, along with the other disciples, had forsaken Jesus and fled for their lives in the, at the Garden of Gethsemane. But John came back to the cross. He was restored and forgiven there. As Christians, we may stray and deny our Lord but we can still come back to the cross. It doesn't matter what we've done. The cross is the place to go for forgiveness, for deliverance, and restoration. For John to be near the cross was probably not the safest or easiest place to stand. It would have taken courage and great love for John to come back to the cross. Jesus not only restored John, but he gave him some responsibility. He basically said that, John, I will no longer be on this earth to watch over my mother, so you are going to take my place. You're going to take care of her, my mother, and you're going to be a son to her. For John, the cross was a place of responsibility. 
It was the responsibility of the oldest son to care for his widowed mother. Of course, with Jesus dying on the cross, he would not be able to care for her in that material way. If the oldest son was unable to care for his mother, it became the responsibility of the next oldest son and then to the other sons in birth order, then the daughters and son-in-law. And Jesus had at least four other brothers and one sister, as scripture mentions. So why did Jesus commend his mother to John, who was at best a distant cousin? Why could Jesus not depend on his own siblings? Well, we do know that the scriptures say that his own brothers and sisters were unbelievers. Therefore, Jesus was giving John the care of his mother. Sorry, I lost my place. Also, we can see that when he received this command, John did not complain. It was the duty of a disciple to obey the master rabbi without question. And John, and John did what Jesus commanded him and took Mary home and cared for her as long as she lived. We do know in the Bible that James and Jude of Jesus' brothers later became believers, but it also appears that John still cared for her. It would seem astonishing that John would have extended first-hand contact with Jesus' mother, yet not mention anything about the virgin birth, Jesus' birth and childhood. But again, this isn't so hard to understand, considering John doesn't even mention his or his own brothers in his own gospel, even though James and John are mentioned prominently in other gospels. The gospel isn't about Joseph and the Virgin Mary. It isn't about John or James, Peter, or you or me. It's about Jesus, and we would do well to remember this. Even when names are mentioned, they should not be the main focus. How often we are interested in lifting ourselves up rather than Jesus, and to do so in the pretense of giving God glory is really a shame. In some churches, the Virgin Mary and the saints are practically worshiped alongside with Jesus. Anyone who sees the way John deals with himself and Mary in the gospel should serve as a warning. I appreciate all of that God's people have done over the centuries in response to God's will, but it is Jesus whom we must magnify. Amen. And for my last point, redefined relationships. God gives us not what we need, not just what we need, but also who we need in our lives. Mary was in the process of losing her son, and John was losing his teacher, his rabbi. Now we have to ask, why did Jesus choose this time to tell his mother and John this at Calvary? He could have told them beforehand at a time of peace during the Last Supper, and he could have told them after the resurrection. But he chose the time at the cross because um, it was a time of crisis, and during that time is when you're the most focused, and when words are spoken at that time, you will remember them truly. But Jesus saw her and had compassion on her and assured her of his love for her. What was Jesus doing at the time? He was establishing a new relationship with his mother. He was saying, I'm going back to heaven, and because of this, you and I must have a whole new relationship. I am your God and your Savior, just like all others who believe on me. You are special to me, but no more special than anyone else I am dying for now. 
But in order to give you peace in this world and in order to heal up your broken heart where the wound has pierced so deeply, I'm giving your John. I'm giving you John as your new son. He reminds them that even after he dies, there's still life to live. And at that time, John needs a faith-filled parental figure and a mentor as much as Mary needs a faith-filled caretaker. Jesus is the presence for both of them physically, but would now be that presence for them spiritually. John's biological mother, Salome, is at the cross, but he needs another kind of mother. He needs a spiritual mother in his house. And in conclusion, um, I'd like to say all believers today are taking his place here on earth. In John 20, 21, it tells us that as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. You and I represent Jesus to others. To acknowledge the cross is to acknowledge our place of responsibility. If you and I have come to the cross, we have a huge responsibility to carry the cross, to love the Lord Jesus because he had first loved us, to love others just like John loved Jesus' mother, and to love others the same way that Jesus loves us. The cross, indeed, is a place of responsibility. Thank you, church. Hello, good day to all. My name is uh, Pastor Emilio Malahanja Jr. from the Philippines. And uh, I was invited to preach by Pastor uh, Abel Manalo about the, one of the uh, seven last words of Jesus Christ. And my topic is the fourth saying, which is, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And let us open our Bible in the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 27, and verse 46. Matthew, chapter four, uh, 27, verse 46. And the Bible says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you once again for this time. Thank you for this privilege that you have given to me as I preach your word about uh, one of the seven last words of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. About the fourth saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Give us wisdom and understanding. And may you, uh, may your Holy Spirit be with us this time. Use me as a channel of blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Uh, at the very center of the seven last words, the fourth word is uh, probably both Jesus' lowest point as well as the theological high point of the crucifixion. Now, uh, the horror, the horror and magnitude of his of this cup come in full fury as the darkness of God's judgment grows heavy, and he feels the Father's comforting presence set away. 
he who has been with the Father from all eternity is now utterly alone. The Father's focus on these are is severe judgment upon the sins Jesus is bearing. Jesus is bearing all our sins at this moment. Jesus agonizing cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Enables us just a tiny glimpse of what it must have cost Jesus to die for our sins. Our forgiveness is not free, dear friends, neither for the Father nor for the Son. It trenches them apart and puts them on opposite side. If only for a little time. Jesus agonizing saying from the cross teaches us something about uh, how much the Father and the Son both love us. And we know that. That God the Father loved us and God the Son loved us also. And we cannot compare their love to anything. And, but we know we, we are loved by God and by Christ. So much that, uh, that they are willing to sever for a little, for a time, their love for each other. Now perhaps we can understand better the fourth word from the cross. That time, it was dark all over the place. It's so silent. It feels like, uh, not like that before. Nothing has happened that, like that before. It feels like nobody is with him. It feels like uh, everybody left him alone. But Jesus on the cross is still managing situation. That moment of time. And in the nine hour, about the nine hour, Jesus cried. Imagine the word cry. He says like this. Maybe he shouted like this with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It feels like he was betrayed. They left him alone. Even his disciples hid themselves. But you know, when we feel most betrayed, you know, you know, we know that God understands us. For he experienced that abandonment. When we feel most alone, the truth. And reality is that we are not alone. Now, the fourth word from the cross is anguish. It's about three o'clock at that time. 
there is a night hour in their time, but in our time is three o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus Christ, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Out of the darkness comes a loud cry. Out of the silence, a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A piercing cry. It is not a cry against God. It is a cry to God. At that moment, Jesus was alone. More than anyone could be. Therefore, we visit the fourth word from the cross tonight or today. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? These words express a reality. These words present a question, and this word requires an answer. Jesus knew what is what uh, what it was to experience the searcher, because he, he experienced that his family left him alone. His family had done so. In John chapter 1 verse 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The disciples fled. They left him alone. Now God deserts him. For Jesus, who lived in constant relationship and communion with his Father, this was the cruelest blow, a blow beyond description. God forsaking. God forsaking. Our faith fails us. And then we think that God uh, has left us. No. He never will. Interestingly, our Lord's faith did not falter for a moment. For he says twice, My God, my God. The double expression in the words, My God, my God, reveals his unhesitating faith. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon suggests that Christ or that Jesus seem to be saying, even if you forsaken me, I will not forsake you. Jesus are that he had been moving towards, had come and he faced it knowing him. Why was Jesus forsaken? Have you questioned have you ever questioned why was Jesus forsaken? You know that the answer is clearly. The answer clearly must be that we might never be forsaken. That we might always know the presence and help of God. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, he said, And I will always be with you. And I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. He will never leave us, nor forsake us, even uh, the Hebrews says. 
Matthew who records the extreme loneliness of Jesus and his gospel with his promise of eternal companionship. Never ever are we alone in most in our most darkest moment. Never ever are we alone in our suffering. Never ever are we alone in the midst of our pain. God turned against his son at that moment so that we would not turn he would not turn against us I repeat God turned against his son at that moment so that he would not turn again against us when we do feel alone abandoned, deserted, afraid. Let us learn from Jesus. Let us learn from Jesus' example. He cried, my God, my God, let nothing drive you from your faith in God. Let your faith stay on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your faith grow on the Lord. When we feel most betrayed, Jesus understands, for he experienced total abandonment. When we feel most alone, the truth and reality is that we are not alone. He is always there. When darkness seems to hide his face, we need to trust. His unchanging grace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this privilege. May you bless your word to each and everyone's heart. May you always be glorified in our needs. In every, in every aspect of our lives. Thank you, Lord. And we pray that you would always message one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you everyone and God bless you all. <laughs> Good evening, church. Uh, honestly, I wanted to start off by saying uh, I want to thank Pastor Bell for giving me the opportunity to stand up here before you and uh you know talk about the word of god in front of the church <laughs> um honestly when he first asked me uh about doing this my kind of immediate response was sure and that that is not usually the route i take <laughs> when i <laughs> talk about what i want to do but um i know lately in my spiritual growth like i've been thirsting for wanting to do more for the church. I've been wanting to seek more opportunities to be involved and try to be a presence. And honestly, Pastor Bell asking me kind of scared me, but I said sure immediately, and I worried about it afterward. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I will start off with praying because I think I need it. <laughs> so uh, dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for this wonderful Friday evening where we can gather uh, and uh, glorify your name, Lord. 
Lord, I ask and pray you, uh, you uh, give me wisdom and uh, bless me and help me say the right things tonight, Lord, so I can get the message across. Uh, Lord, I ask for a good rest of the night, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, I will start by reading the verse, John nineteen twenty-eight. <laughs> After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. So, Jesus was crucified on the cross in the morning, and he was spent maybe three hours in the sunlight, three hours in darkness. While the first couple of Jesus' sayings centered more about others, the end portion of his sayings centered more about himself, specifically, start, like starting with the fifth saying, I thirst, it dealt more with his body, his physical his physicality. It's the shortest of the sayings, however, these two words tells us a lot, specifically two points. I only have two points. <laughs> so my first point I want to share with you all is that Jesus is a sympathetic savior. <laughs> when, uh, when, while Jesus is 100% divine, he was 100% human. Jesus' words, I thirst, reminds us of Jesus' physical nature and his humanity. Because he was walking upon the earth as a man, he knew no sin. However, he quickly became acquainted to the daily struggles of his life. Jesus was once, at one point, a child, where he probably scraped his knees playing in the, like the playground or outside, or, um, yeah, just playing. At one point, he was a teenager, where he probably tried to fit in in a, in a crowd or group. That's what teenagers would kind of do, maybe, yeah. <laughs> and uh, eventually, he became an adult, where he picked up his father's trade, trade of carpentry where he ran into probably a lot of the hardships that you know most of us young professionals are going through with our professions and he he faced through all of that he he's gone he's gone through all those issues and still was able to be sinless as a man he understood what it felt like to be tired cold hungry and of course thirsty jesus wasn't performing some kind of show on the cross he was undergoing an act of physical torture his words, I thirst, just ultimately remind us that Jesus lived a life fully understanding what struggles and hardships we go through. And with understanding our pains and our problems, Jesus still died and gave his sins. Gave, died and gave his life for our sins. <laughs> the second point, this is fast. <laughs> The second point that I wanted to uh, mention was Jesus' awareness for the scripture. Um, Jesus was a scriptural savior. By saying, I thirst, Jesus reminds us of his extensive knowledge of the prophetic scriptures concerning his suffering and his death. When stating his thirst, Jesus fulfills the scriptures, Psalm 69, 21, and Psalm 22, 15. I'm going to go ahead and read that slowly. So, <laughs> Psalm 69, 21 states, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Psalm 22, 15 states, 
my strength is dried up like a post herd post herd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws and thou hast brought me into the dust of death these are just small examples like not small some examples of jesus fulfilling the scripture and he's fulfilled prophetic scriptures throughout his whole life from being born all the way to his death one of the strongest points that i like like to take from this is uh jesus was is that sorry (laughs) one of the strongest points we can take from this is because jesus fulfilled what was foretold about his own life here on earth jesus can do what he promised in your life honestly when i read that statement um that really like impacts me a lot jesus can do what he promised in your life because he fulfilled what was done in his life and honestly it just helps with my spiritual growth and understanding about everything and (laughs) no i know i'm just you know i'm yes i am thirsty but (laughs) being thirsty is something that you know we can all relate to we (laughs) like right now (laughs) Um, however, when you mix in the physical torture and the hours of darkness where Jesus spent on the cross, um, he, uh, he gave his life for us, and um, we ultimately have to thank him for paying for our sins and dying on that cross. Thank you. <laughs> First of all, I would like to thank Pastor Sam and Brilliant Bible Pastors for this opportunity to be able to share the word of God. And I thank you once again for all your prayers and support. My assignment this morning is the sixth word on the cross. John chapter 19 and verse 3. When Jesus therefore had received the vision, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It is finished. The sixth word on the cross. Probably the most important and or poignant among all the last sayings on the cross. It is only found in the Gospel of John. In the Greek it is written, Tetelestai, meaning paid in full. The word finished is mentioned. In the book of John, four times in the King James Version. First, it's found in John chapter 4 and verse 34. Second, in John chapter 5 and verse 36. Third, in John chapter 17 and verse 4. All referring to the the Father's work being on the shoulder of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the scriptures from Genesis to Malachi, there are more than 300 specific prophecies detailing the coming of the Anointed One, all fulfilled by Jesus Christ. From the seed that will crush the head of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, from, from the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53, and to the messenger 
who will prepare the way of the Lord, which is uh, John the Baptist, all these prophecies, symbols, ceremonial laws, and foreshadowings, all these were fulfilled in the life, ministry, and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was all fulfilled in His finished work, the work of the Father. Jesus fulfilled the work which the Father gave Him, and this work has stripped the power of Satan, has stripped Satan from his power, has stripped sin from his power. Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 says, Seven weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish transgression, to make end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. All this fulfilled when Jesus completed the work that the Father gave him. Since death completely paid forever, not the death of Jesus, he didn't have any death. It's the death of mankind, the death because of sin. The Father glorified the Son physically because the Son glorified the Father on earth by finishing the work he had given him to do, to suffer and die for the ungodly. To be able to do this, Jesus came to save, to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus provided atonement for the sins of all who believe in him. Through his work, through his completed work, Jesus reconciled sinful men to a holy God. Although the redemption of mankind is the most special finished task on the cross, many other things were finished at the cross. The sufferings of our Lord, body and soul, were finally over, meaning He will not suffer anymore. He will not go through all these um, sufferings anymore because He did it already. And he finished, he completed the task on the cross. And one day the Lord will return, not to suffer again, but to be the judge of the world. Other things that the Lord has completed through his completed work on the cross is God's will uh, was accomplished through the work of Jesus, through his perfect obedience to the Father. The power of sin and Satan uh, were finished already because of the completed work of Christ. And the most important thing, the gospel barriers are now open. It means the gospel is not now limited to the Jews only. It's not, it's not now limited to the Israelites, but the gospel is now open to all the world. Jesus said after his resurrection, go ye into all the world and teach all nations. Praise the Lord. The gospel is not only for the Jews now, but it's also for us, the Gentiles. And it's because of the completed word of Christ. 
Now all who are in Christ can live as new creations to God because they are now made alive in Christ. Why? Because God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross because He is sinless and perfect. If He had uh, sins of His own, uh, then all His sufferings wouldn't be sufficient and wouldn't be accepted because of His own sins, which um, uh, will make Him unacceptable and despicable in the holy presence of God. But because He is sinless, because He is perfect, God accepted His sacrifice. But if He had sinned, we all know that the sinner has nothing good to offer to God but His wickedness and His sins. The sinner left to himself is hopeless. The sinner cannot be helped by his religion, cannot be helped by his good works, cannot be helped by his wealth. The sinner cannot be helped even by his Christian parents. The sinner cannot be helped by anything that this world has to offer. Nothing can help the sinner except the finished work of Christ on the cross. Praise God, Jesus was perfect and sinless, and so God accepted his sacrifice. Jesus endured God's fierce wrath and horrible judgment on the cross for us. When Jesus said, let this cup, let this cup pass from me, he didn't mean about the soldiers, about the Roman soldiers' insults and tortures uh, or the pain that they were able to inflict on his body. No, that the excruciating pain of, of the wicked nails which were hammered through his feet and hands. And definitely not the death on the cross. When Jesus said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Jesus, Jesus was talking about the Father's wrath. Jesus was not afraid of all these terrible things that the Roman soldiers imposed on his body. But Jesus was certainly talking about the Father's fierce wrath and brutal judgment crushing the Son on the cross because he was made to be seen for us who knew no sin that we might be the righteousness of God through him. Now we don't need no other sacrifice, no sir. We don't need priests to offer animal sacrifices for our sins, no sir. We don't need to add anything to what Christ has accomplished on the cross, no sir, because his sacrifice is sufficient it's more than enough. It's complete. It is finished. God bless you all. Amen. Good evening to all. Last but not the least, amen. Are you still there? I am tremendously blessed uh, so far with everything that we heard from uh, our speakers, our preachers. And we all thank God for them. Uh, I'd like to request our ushers. 
I think we should uh, take a free will love offering for our speakers, especially those that had preached from us all the way from the Philippines. Uh, aside from our regular uh, honorarium, we'd like to give to them to help them in their ministry. Whatever you can give will be uh, given to them for their ministry. You can also give online or uh, uh, this coming Sunday, you know, um, as the Lord uh, giving you uh, the desire to be a blessing. And uh, we thank God for um, this evening. No better place to be. Amen? Than to be uh, in the presence of the Lord in the midst of uh, His Word and God's people. And traditionally, tonight is a good Friday. But uh, thank God that uh, today we're not uh, reflecting this special day uh, with traditions or rituals that, you know, you, are, you have to wear black, like what I do right now. Or uh, some abs abstinence, you know. Can't eat meat today or bawal maligo. Wala alas dos hanggang alas tres, di ba? We don't serve, uh, observe Good Friday like that. But we have services, amen? By God's mercy and grace, uh, commemorating the last seven sayings or utterances of Christ. So uh, thank you for giving unto the Lord, and I know uh, this will be a blessing to our missionaries and friends. So um, we're going to the last one right now, so let's all stand uh, just to have a, a little spiritual exercise and physical exercise. Let's uh, open our Bibles in the book of Luke, chapter 23, verses 44 to 49, as the last saying. Luke, chapter 23, verses 44 to 49. Let's read all of this together, and then we'll have a quick word of prayer. All right, if you're there, say a hearty amen. amen. Okay, let's uh, begin reading. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness or over the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the woman that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we bless your name. We thank you so much for all the wonderful words of life and wonderful lessons and spiritual truths that we've heard since the beginning of this service. We thank you, Lord, for your word that's still alive and powerful. And even though this event had happened 2,000 years ago, it can still come to us afresh. And uh, we can still rejoice and celebrate uh, uh, the love of God that uh, was demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. We pray now that you bless this remaining time that we have together. Uh, cover us with your precious blood. Keep us safe as we continue to uh, have this Bible study in this church and bless our hearts and uh, help me, Lord, to expound your word in truth and help me, Lord, I'm nothing without you. We are totally just dependent upon your grace, Lord, for tonight's blessing and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may all be seated. Thank you. Appreciate all the messages, and uh, me and uh, Brother Harley were kidding a while ago. If he's not going to preach long, then I will take some of his time. <laughs> and since I'm the, I'm the last preacher, and you don't have any choice but to stay there, isn't it? And listen, enduring it, because I'm the last. 
So I have all the time in the world. Amen? Amen. And you know what? Your Bible study group on Fridays, you, you end up like 10, isn't it? 10.30. Uh, you don't? We do in our group. <laughs> we just love to share our testimonies and, uh, and pray and everything. So it's just like uh, according to my one uh, functioning eye, it's only 9.25. So, you know, maybe I could go beyond 10 minutes. All right? So I have some slides here. The first is uh, the highest hill in the world. You know what that is? There you go. It's Calvary. Amen? Or Golgotha. Or Golgotha. That's in the Aramaic form. Which is uh, identified as the place of skull. Also called Calvary. From the Latin calva. Or bald head. Or skull. This is a skull shaped hill in the ancient Jerusalem. The site of Jesus crucifixion. It is referred to all in the four Gospels. Here we have some slides of that place. Uh, just going to uh, Israel a couple of years ago. If you go to uh, a vantage point outside the city of Jerusalem on that hill is that place called Golgotha. Uh, Calvary in Latin, the place of skull because it's a skull-shaped hill. All right? And the highest hill in the world is Calvary because it's the place where misery met mercy. Amen? It's the place where God's wrath against sin, because He's a holy and just God, received, you know, uh, satisfaction through the death and sufferings of Christ. And uh, next slide. There you go. Uh, you see the, the fence there, you know, uh, protecting the, the tourists. So you want to go overboard, you know, or fall off that cliff. All right, next. Of course, uh, if you uh, uh, watch uh, some of the movies, especially a, a very good one by Mel Gibson about the passion of Christ, these still images and pictures and this reenacting of, let's say, these wonderful actors cannot really give justice, amen, to what had happened 2,000 years ago. As somebody said, Christianity can be summed up in three locations. In the book of Genesis, it started in a garden. Amen? We, we saw the origin of man, the fall of man into sin and judgment. But also, at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the, the third location is a city of gold. The city which is the abode of God, which is called the heavenly city, the 1,500 square uh, cubic miles of a three, uh, three score city full of riches and wonderful things that we were all going to go someday, amen, in the future. So there's the garden in Genesis. There is the city of God, heaven, in the book of Revelation. But you know what? In the center, in between, is the highest hill in the world. It's a hill called Calvary, where the cross of Christ Jesus was given to us. Next slide. And if you're aware of that sufferings of Christ from the illegal trial, the Congress court, especially even his sufferings in the Garden of Gethsemane and those trials in that illegal court by the Jewish rabbi, you know, and Jewish religious people, he already suffered there brutally, physically, isn't it? Crown of thorns was placed in his head, a robe mocking him. He was beaten with the palm, open palms of like 70 Sanhedrin uh, men. He was the... Uh, speed upon, his beard was plucked out as Isaiah 53 described. So Christ had already suffered 
even carrying that heavy cross with uh, all that beating, uh, even that uh, scourging of the cat of nine tails, where a lot of people don't even survive, you know, but Jesus Christ has set his face to go to the cross. As Sister Risa had sung that Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, that street, he did not turn his back because all the way from the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to, the, to God the Father, not my will, but thine be, be done. Isn't it? If this cup will pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. That cup of suffering, that mental suffering, that emotional suffering, that physical suffering, but most of all, the spiritual suffering that we will endure on the cross. And I think one of the hardest things to preach about the seven utterances of Christ, seven last sayings, is the uh, number fourth saying. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Isn't it? Such a hard thing to uh, really comprehend as finite you know, uh, being when Christ uttered those words. The cross of Calvary. And, you know, there's Simon the Cyrenian, isn't it? Who tried to help Jesus carrying that cross. Okay, next slide. All right, there you go. The three crosses on that lonely hill. And we know the story. One of the other sayings is... Uh, well uh, preached and taught by Brother J. Bizda that salvation is simple and instantaneous through trusting Christ. And this uh, identifies all of us, isn't it? Uh, one uh, malefactor or thief on the cross was a repentant one. The other was unrepentant. But in the midst of them is a compassionate Savior. All right, next. All right. Uh, what kept Jesus hanging on the cross 2,000 years ago? Was it? The Romans who nailed him there? Was it the Jewish religious people or the people who crucified him after just shouting Hosanna, Hosanna a week ago? Was it, what was the reason, what was the motivation of Christ why he kept on hanging on the cross? He could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him, isn't it? He could have freed himself because he is God. He is deity. He is all-powerful. But he stayed on the cross. You know what? It was the sins of the world that kept him there. That's why, as they said, it's a nice arithmetic. You know, three nails plus one cross equals four given. Amen? Three nails plus one cross equals four given. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, it truly made a difference to us. We can have the forgiveness, the atonement of our sin because of the cross. You know, the cross is the bridge between a holy, just, righteous God and a sinful sinner like you and me. The cross of Jesus is the bridge towards God. As it's our reconciliation. It, it is our redemption. It is our salvation. Next slide, please. There you go. Uh, Isaiah 53, amen? The Bible says there's no beauty that we should desire him. Christ was so marred and mangled that he doesn't even look like a man after all the beatings and the sufferings he did. He was a, a lamb who was brought to the slaughter, isn't it? So no still images, no videos, no movies can really depict what had happened 2,000 years ago. But it truly had happened. Amen? Because the, the scriptures declare it. History, you know, declares it. And you know what? We declare it because the cross of Jesus changed us forever. Amen? Next. All right, next, 
That's our verse. All right. In these verses, we have three things we can consider. Verses um, 44 to 49. First, I will uh, dive in to the message. I will try to speak fast, so listen fast. Amen? Amen. And don't worry. I'll, we'll be out here before midnight. All right? <laughs> like Apostle Paul. Huh? At least we don't have any balcony here. No Eutychus will fall off. Amen? So first, in these verses, Christ dying magnified the prodigies that attended it. Only two are here mentioned, which we had an account of before. First, as we read in verses 44 to 46, is that the darkening of the sun at noonday, it was not about the sixth hour, that is according to our computation, 12 o'clock at noon, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. This is a supernatural darkness. It's a miraculous event, isn't it? Because the sun was eclipsed and the air exceedingly clouded at the same time, both which concurred to this thick darkness, which continued three hours, not three days. You remember? One of the plagues in Egypt. So, first is that supernatural darkness for three hours. Pitch black darkness. Second thing that magnified Christ dying is also the rending of the veil in the temple when it was ripped apart from top to bottom. The former prodigy was in the heavens, the sun being darkened, and the rending of the veil of the temple is, had happened in the terrestrial realm. If the sun is darkened, happening with the celestial, the heavenlies, but there also that one thing that happened in the temple. Both these two things are houses of God, isn't it? Heaven is the house of God. In my Father's house, that's heaven, are many mansions, John 14 declares. But also, God has a temporal terrestrial house in this earth, which is called the temple. Both of these houses, they declare their you know, sympathy with Jesus Christ, hanging on that cross. You know, when the Son of God was thus abused, these two, the heavens and the veil, in the temple could not but feel the indignity and thus signify the resentment of it. By this rending of the veil, it was signified the taking away of the ceremonial law, which was a wall of partition between the Jews and the Gentiles and of all other difficulties and discouragements in our approaches to God so that now we may come boldly to the throne of grace. So first, Christ dying magnified these two things. Sun darkened, the, the veil of the temple was rent. That was also miraculous because, you know, it's three feet thick, you know, and a team of horses can uh, pull apart that curtain. No humans can, and can pull that apart, but it was ripped apart by God himself, isn't it? Allowing us sinners now to have that priestly, you know, uh, uh, priesthood of the believers to come boldly to the throne of grace because Christ had sacrificed himself on the cross. Second thing, Christ dying explained by the words which we breath out of his soul. Jesus had cried with a loud voice when he said on the fourth saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, or my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So he cried that with a loud voice. Imagine you are hanging on the cross, the most excruciating kind of death. It's death by asphyxiation. It's death by suffocation. You know, you have to push yourselves and you will feel 
all the pain and the sorrow from your hands and your foot by, you know, trying to lift up your legs to breathe or gasp for air. And, and if you're there and, and Christ had already suffered a lot, but you know what? He still has the strength to cry out. May lakas pa po siyang sumigaw when sinabi niya, My God! My God! Why hast thou forsaken me? The same thing, he cried the second time on the seventh last saying, the last word. When he cried, Father! Father! Into thy hands I commit my spirit. I commit or I command my spirit. So, we are told in Matthew and Mark, it should have seemed it was with a loud voice that he said this to, to show his earnestness. And that all the people might take notice of it. And this he said, Father, into thy hands I command my spirit. First thing we can see here, he borrowed these words from his father David in Psalms 31 verse 5. Remember, David was promised that his throne will last forever and, it, and through his loins the Messiah would come. That's why even Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is the hometown of David, the house of bread, Bethlehem. So he borrowed these words from David. He chose to make use of David's words to show that it was the Spirit of Christ that testified in the Old Testament prophets and that He came to fulfill the Scripture. You see, Christ died with Scripture in His mouth. Thus, He directs us to make use of Scripture language in our addresses to God. Second thing, in this address to God, He calls Him Father. Isn't it? Notice that? When He complained, so to speak, of being forsaken, isn't it? He called Him my God, Eli, Eli, or Eloi, Eloi. But here, he called him Father. When he was bearing the sins of the whole world from past, present, and future, when the one who knew no sin became sin for us, he was experiencing the wrath of God against sin. That's why the whole place was darkened. And we might ask, where was God? He was in the darkness, isn't it? Same place when he allowed darkness to cover Egypt. He was there to show his power. Now he's, he's still there even in the darkness when sin is being judged in the person of Jesus Christ. You know what? Christ was there in the cross. His agony of his soul was now over. Here he calls God Father. You see, when he was giving up his life and soul for us, he did for us call God Father, that we through Him might receive the adoption of sons. Amen? Thirdly, Christ made use of these words in a sense, but peculiar to Himself as mediator. He was now to make His soul an offering for our sin, as the Bible says in Isaiah 53.10, to give His life for a ransom for many, Matthew 20.28, 20, and by the eternal Spirit to offer Himself, as the Bible declares in Hebrews 9. 14. He was himself both the priest and the sacrifice uh, of our souls, you know, and uh, the price must be paid into the hands of God. The party offended by sin to him, he had, he had undertaken to make full satisfaction. Now by these words, he offered up the sacrifice, did as it were, lay his hand upon the head of it and surrender it. In Tithemai. In Hebrew, which it speaks, I deposit it. I pay it down into thy hands. Father, accept of my life and soul instead of the lives and souls of the sinners I die for. That's why that word, the animus offerentis, in Latin, the goodwill of the offerer was 
requisite to the willingness to offer himself as he had done when it was first proposed to him in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. When the Bible says, Lo, I come to do thy will, by which will we are sanctified. Fourthly, Christ hereby signifies his dependence upon his Father for his resurrection. By the reunion of his soul and body, who he commands, Jesus Christ commands his spirit into his Father's hand to be received into paradise and return the third day. Amen? By this, it appears that our Lord Jesus, as he had a true body, so he had a reasonable soul, which existed in a state of separation from the body. And as he was made like unto his brethren, this soul he lodged in his Father's hand, committed it to his custody, resting in hope that it should not be left in Hades in its state of separation from the body. No, not so long that the body might see corruption, because after three days, he rose again. Amen? The Father whom he has commanded, his spirit, gave it back to him, and he rose from the grave. Fifthly, Christ has hereby left us saints and had, as it were, sanctified them for their use in death, our great care should be about our souls. Amen? Can we say this when, if the Lord tarries coming and we die a natural old age and we have finished our spiritual race and we can say in our dying breath as God gives us dying grace, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You know you can say that as a Christian, as a believer, by the grace of God. If you have finished your course, isn't it? If you have kept the faith, amen? And you do, you have done your best to please your Savior, to serve Him. And your house is in order, isn't it? Maybe that's a, a, a phrase, a saying that you can also say to your Heavenly Father. In your dying breath, you can say, Father, I'm ready to go home. Father, into thy hands I command my spirit. You know, I saw that in the life of my mom. You know, when her body was uh, shackled by cancer. And she's ready to meet the Lord, her God. I believe she's giving her spirit into the hands of her Savior, of our Heavenly Father. And this is a comfort for us, isn't it? If Christ was able to do that because He has done His job, He's fulfilled His mission, mission to redeem us from our sin, for his, from His suffering on the cross, now He's ready to say, Father, into Thy hands. I commend my spirit. We must show that we are freely willing to die, that we firmly believe in another life after this and are desirous of it by saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Thirdly, Christ dying improved by the impressions it made upon those that attended him. Look at these attenders in that foot of the cross. As they said, the ground is always level on the cross. Amen? Anyone can come to the cross. There is the centurion, a Roman, a Gentile, isn't it? But he said, surely this man is a righteous man. In another gospel, surely this man is the son of God. After witnessing all these miraculous things that had happened, you know, in nature and the utterances of Christ. How about the disinterested spectators? Could not but be concerned as we see that they left, they smote their breast, isn't it? And they saw no ordinary. It's a very extraordinary day that Jesus Christ died on the cross. How about the others? 
his own friends and followers, some women who followed him from afar because right now, you know, they are confused, isn't it? What would they do? So a lot of prophecies had been fulfilled by what had happened on that day, especially those friends and followers who deserted him. All right? Lastly, and we will conclude our message with this. All right? Christ's death on the cross was first visibly displayed, isn't it? His sufferings. It was seen publicly. He was there hanging on the cross from 9 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. People come by, mock him, reviled him. We see uh, uh, the soldiers pierce his side. Uh, they saw him like, you know, uh, put, they put nails in his hands and his feet. As the Bible says, let's read these verses of scripture. I hope as we read them, as we take note of them, jot them down, it will be a blessing to us. Mark 15, 32, let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Even the malefactors. Galatians 6.14 But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Visibly displayed his sufferings. He was crucified unto the world. Galatians 3.13 Christ had redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The curse of sin was placed in Jesus so that curse will be no more. Amen? Second thing, Christ dying on the cross not is only visibly displayed but vicariously determined. He was our perfect substitute. Vicarious means to take in one's place, to take place of. Romans 5, verse 6 to 8, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended, amen, I love this verse, or God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we were all sinners, amen, by, by choice and by nature. We don't have to turn into a new life or reform before God will die for us. Or love us, give us salvations while we were yet sinners. I'm glad for that. Christ already died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which lived should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. I'm glad God took my place on the cross because I cannot die for my own sins. You cannot die for your own sins. Or if you can die for your sins, you can only die for your own sins. You cannot die for any other man's sin. An animal cannot take my place. An angel cannot take my place. An Old Testament prophet cannot take my place. The pastor, the priest, the pope cannot take my place and die for me on the cross. Only Christ is the one qualified because he is the sinless son of God. He's the God-man. Who took your place. As Brother Bobby always prayed for. You know Philippians chapter 2. You know. The, the humility of Christ. Isn't it? Taking up the form of a servant of a man. To die for your place and my place. He died vicariously in my place. Thirdly. Also voluntarily declared. 
Look at his submission to the will of the Father. John 10, 17. Therefore, that my Father loved me because I laid down my life that I might take it again. No man take it from me. Notice that. No man take it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Thanks be to God, Christ died voluntarily. He laid down his life. The Roman soldiers did not kill him. Amen? The Gentiles did not kill him. The nails did not really kill him. But when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he has the power to lay down his life. And also he has the great power to take it back. And that's his promise. Voluntarily declared. So you know what? If Christ did not lay down his life, he could still be living until right now. But he has to die so we can live. Amen? It's only the death of the cross can give us salvation and eternal life. Lastly, amen? Number four, it's victoriously delivered. What? Our salvation, our atonement, our redemption. Oh, that day, 2,000 years ago, one of the greatest events of human history, not only the birth of Christ, not only is death on the cross, not only is resurrection, and also, of course, for us, we're waiting for it, we're longing for it, for His soon return, isn't it? But on that day when He died on the cross, it seems like the devil, Satan, and the minions of demons all over the earth are rejoicing. At last, we killed the Messiah. At last, we killed the Son of God. For 4,000 years, we've been trying to disrupt the plan of Jehovah. We're trying to corrupt the lineage of the Messiah. But right now, we are victorious. We were able to put the Son of God on the cross, and He just said the last words, Into thy hands I command my spirit. He just died. And they are rejoicing, isn't it? But little did they know, that was their greatest defeat. Because when Jesus Christ said those words, Father, into thy hands I command my spirit, he knew salvation is complete. Tetelestai, it is finished. God the Father ex had accepted my sacrifice. God the Father has accepted my suffering. You know, the wages of sin is paid for right now. Now I can commend my spirit to the Father. That's why he's a vic victoriously delivered. He's there on the cross. When he said those words, Father, I commend my spirit. This verse of scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must, must put on immortality. Amen? Amen? The great chapter about the resurrection. And we'll talk about this this coming Sunday in our early sunrise service. Amen? But look, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, that is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the, what is it, saints? Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. May his name be praised. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for these wonderful words and utterances of Christ on the cross. 2,000 years ago, and here in our church, this is the third time we're able to do this. And every time, it is always a blessing. It always refreshes our hearts, encourages our spirit. 
it reminds us of the great love of Jesus that he had shown upon us on the cross. And our heart's desire today, Lord, is to fall in love with you afresh. And our heart's desire also, if there's any person that had listened to this service, and I, I know, Lord, that the gospel has been presented. The gospel is the good news that Jesus loves us, that he died on the cross for our sins because he knew that man could never save his own self. We will never be good enough to make it to heaven on our own. All our good works are just filthy rags in your sight because we are sinners. But we, are, we have Jesus Christ who came down here on earth, born of a Virgin Mary, took the form of a servant for the same and wonderful reason to die on the cross, to share, to shed his blood so we can have salvation, we can have forgiveness. We can have the atonement of sin. And if you're here today, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, if you will just trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, He will save you today. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. If you're here today, you're not sure if death comes your way. And the Bible says we're all going to die for the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're not sure, 100% certain, that if you die today, you have a home in heaven, that your sins have been forgiven, now is the time to trust Christ as your Savior. Just call upon His name and pray this way. Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You shed your blood and you rose again for my salvation. I ask you now to forgive me of all my sins. I, and by faith, I ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord and personal Savior. Thank you for saving me this moment and giving me a new life, an eternal life. And help me to know you more and to live for you from this day forth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer of trusting the Lord, calling upon His name for salvation, would you let us know? I'm more than happy to correspond with you. Open the Bible and show you through the Scripture what you've done. For all the believers here, the message is simple. Throughout all these messages that we heard, may, may we always put in our heart and never forget and always remember the great sacrifice that Jesus has done for us so we can have a personal relationship with Him. Whenever we see Calvary in our sanctified imagination in the Scriptures, Whenever we hear about the cross, may we not take for granted the ultimate sacrifice Christ has to pay so we can have salvation. May we not play with sin and forsake sin because it's the sins that we have committed that nailed Him there. Now we have the power to overcome it. We can now be victorious because Christ is victorious. And we have a message to share, isn't it? in this time of the year and every day every month every year because one of the greatest emblem of Christianity is the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb let's thank him tonight let's pray silently individually wherever you are here inside the church or at home or you're watching with us online let's thank Jesus for his passion for us his passion at the cross and let's promise him, Lord, give me the wisdom, give me the boldness to share the message of the cross to others. Thank you, Lord, that God the Father 
once had forsaken you on those lonely dark hours on the cross so we will not be forsaken forevermore thank you Lord Father as your people pray may you bless them bless every message that we have heard this evening truly Lord it's never a waste of time it's a gain it's a profit that we can hear from thy word Thank you for using our missionary friends, our young people here. Thank you, Lord, for the listeners. Thank you, Lord, for the Christians who desire to know you more, to honor you. You know, Lord, in this uh, traditional Good Friday, but for us it's not just a traditional ritual, but it is ever, you know, Lord, afresh and exciting to commemorate what you've done for us. Because without it, where would we be, Lord, without your sacrifice on the cross? without the power of thy resurrection. We will still be lost in sin. We will still be on our way to hell. Hopeless, homeless, helpless. But because of what you've done, we are the most blessed person in the whole wide world. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, even though we're so undeserving. May your uh, grace and mercy be upon us and bless the rest of our service tonight and even the rest of this evening. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.